Welcome to the Good Book Club podcast, where we make all of our book club meetings and bonus events available for listeners to enjoy. Today, our podcast will feature our The Good Book Club bonus event, a discussion with Nan Osborne of the Hulu docuseries Mormon No More. Nan shares more of her story, gives us insight into her family, and talks about her experience on the program. She also answers questions from several of our book club members. It was absolutely wonderful to have Nan talk to us, and we're sure that you'll enjoy this discussion as much as we did. This book club meeting bonus event was originally held on July 13th, 2022. Welcome, everybody to the Good Book Club bonus edition tonight. My name is Rebecca and it's Wednesday, July 13th at 7 p.m. And we are here joined by our amazing special guest, Nan Osborne. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you guys a little yeah, woo! I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit about the Good Book Club just very quickly so that you can sort of have a have a context of why we are hosting this event. Uh, the Good Book Club is a virtual national book club for post-Mormons or nuanced Mormons or basically anybody that's interested in Mormonism. And we've been running for about two years now um, with members all over the country. And we read a book a month and just have a wonderful time discussing it once a month. Our philosophy is sort of now that we know what we don't believe, let's find out what we do believe. And we do that by reading all kinds of books, all topics, art, history, philosophy, science, everything you can think of. In addition to our regular book club meetings, we sometimes have these bonus events. And those can be something like if we'd like to find out, learn about something that maybe we don't know about. We had one recently about coffee, right? The mysteries of coffee. Maybe that's something if you're more of a post-Mormon, you know, it's new to you. We've had bonus events where we talk about just a topic that we're interested in. We recently had one on evolutionary psychology. Uh, why do we think what we think? And then we often get involved in media that has to do with Mormonism that's out there. We recently had a discussion on Under the Banner of Heaven, and that's where Mormon No More fits in. Our book club members uh, anticipated this. We knew this was coming out. We started watching, and we absolutely loved it. And the consensus sort of was that the person that we identified with <laughs> the most, the person that spoke to us, was Nan. Um, I think that she's the, the mom that all post-Mormons wish that they had. And she's also somebody, um, the kind of mom that all of us would like to be. And I especially identified with her uh, about a decade ago. I had a situation where I found myself having to choose between the mental health of my oldest son and his attending church. And without hesitation, I chose, you don't have to attend anymore. And when I saw Nan making those decisions to choose her children, um, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it right now. Um, I knew she was somebody that I wanted to know more of her story and know more about. So we contacted her and she so graciously agreed to come on and talk with us tonight. So I think our format is gonna be, uh, we'll let Nan talk five or 10 minutes, however much she would like to kind of get us up to speed with what's going on and where she's at right now. And then we'll just start answering questions probably for about an hour. So enough chatting from me. We will now move to our amazing, wonderful special guest, Matt Osborne. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can you hear me okay? Okay. 
Um, I am so happy to be here. My son, my tech son who works at Microsoft said, mom, uh, if you're gonna start doing things like this, we need to make you legit. So get out that new laptop that I gave you and I'll show you how to hook it up to Bluetooth and all the things, so it'll be good. And of course, it took, it took longer and he's, I'm on FaceTime with him while he's trying to show me what buttons to push and do. And I thought I was doing it in plenty of time, but um, I don't know how legit I really need to be. So we'll, we'll just go from there. Um, I, uh, first I wanna say that I'm just a mom. I'm just a mom whose daughter happened to get the attention of a producer in New York and, and do a show. I'm not somebody who has all the answers or who did it all perfectly or can tell anybody else how to do it. Um, I'm just Sally's mom and whatever she thinks is a good idea and she wants me involved, I'm always gonna say yes. So that's, that's all I am. Um, a little bit about myself. I uh, was born in Salt Lake City and I grew up in Utah. Um, I was born into a loving family. I'm the oldest of three kids. Terrific family. Uh, I have pioneer heritage on both sides. My great uncle is Heber J. Grant. Um, most family home evenings when I was growing up centered on our revered pioneer ancestry. And, and we would tell stories about all they did and the sacrifices they made for us and how it's our duty and honor to keep that, that alive and to stay on the path that our pioneers started. Um, it was very much a part of my growing up years the idea that it was my responsibility to carry on this church, um, which I loved, which I thought was terrific. Um, my dad was my very best friend in the whole world. He was kind and understanding and um, he was my best friend. And when he was 34, he was diagnosed with terminal liver cancer and they told him he'd have about three months to live. And he was in the stake presidency. So they came home from the hospital and the whole stake filed through our living room to say goodbye to him. And we all cried and he didn't get worse. He got a little better and he gained 10 pounds. And then he got sick again and was back in the hospital. And then after a month, they let him come home and he got better and he could start to eat again. And after three months, he got sick again. And we did that for 15 years. It was, he, he, my dad and his health was the center of everything in our home. And um, many times he talked to me about how he had built our family on a rock. And it might be raining hard and the winds might be blowing, but by dang, this family will not fall. And you being the oldest, You've got to keep everybody going. Um, he died when he was 50, just turned 51. And he talked to me two weeks before he died and just made sure that I knew my responsibility. 
And boy, I took that so, so seriously. Um, so all of that is what I started out life with. Um, I got married at age 19. Uh, we had three kids about as fast as you could have three kids, two boys and a girl. Sally was a girl. She was a handful from day one. I told my husband, time out. I got to catch my breath. Um, he joined the FBI as an FBI agent. So we left Utah a couple of years after we were married and um, only two months ago moved back. So we were gone for 40 years. Uh, the FBI moved us to 10 different states and three times overseas. So the kids grew up everywhere. Um, when Sally was 10 years old, I decided I'd caught my breath long enough and we had two more boys, which Sally helped raise very happily. Um, but they were all raised all over. Uh, our two youngest were raised in Beijing, China. And we were there for a while, quite a while, and that's what they call home. Um, I think you know, probably from the movie, from the show, that up until about five, six years ago, we had the family that I'd always imagined we would have. Um, everybody, you know, four Eagle Scouts, four returned missionaries. The four out of the five that were married were married in the temple. Um, we was all the way that I pictured it was. And then an earthquake happened. And our second son, Alex, called to say he, after two years of study and angst and every hard thing, he was leaving the church. And I thought, I, I thought I would die. I, I, I said, don't be ridiculous. You can't just leave the church. That's not a thing in our family. You can't just do that. And I said every wrong thing. I said, how will you ever raise your family? How will you survive? Um, within a couple of weeks, Sally and her husband called and said in a similar, very kind and compassionate fashion, we're leaving the church. And then it wasn't long after until our oldest son called with the same news. So in a matter of six weeks, uh, all, all three couples, their kids, everybody was out. And it was the most um, devastating thing that I had ever experienced. I took my responsibility as a mom so, so seriously. So when they left, um, it took Rod and I quite a while to find our footing. And Rod said, we are just going to start a serious study. We are going to show these kids where they've gone wrong. And we're going to help guide them back. And they'll see that they were misled. So he and I started studying more than ever. We started with rough stone rolling and we moved on to everything. It took us probably two years to get through everything Deseret Book had and the BYU scholars and all that. And it left us with 
kind of um, an uncertain feeling of, of, of the acknowledgement that a lot of what we were reading was biased towards the church. So my husband said, um, you know, do we dare start reading things that are non-sanctioned? And so we started down that road. And of course, I'm sure all of you know that bit by bit, um, that just leads to more questions, more, um, you know, new understanding. And, and it took us another couple of years of studying. My husband's not much of a reader ordinarily, but he's, he's read two or 300 books and listened to so many podcasts and just really become, I don't want to say obsessed, but it is what he thinks about all day, every day is church history and all the new information that we have found. He uses the words profoundly disappointed to describe how he felt as he continued his reading and our reading. Um, our two youngest sons were on missions during the time when all of this happened. Uh, once Sally and her husband left the church, they, for the first time ever, they started thinking outside the parameters of the church, like we all do when we first leave, like, wow, I can think outside of the box and I can have some new thoughts. And I think that when Sally allowed herself to do that is when she started to have some idea that you know, maybe she was gay. Um, I don't think, I think if she hadn't left the church, she would have stayed married to dear Shane for the rest of her life. And I'm sure had a very fine life. Um, but she figured that out when she met Lena and um, they moved pretty fast. And Sally called to tell us we did a much better job with our response to that than we did when the kids had all left the church. And I feel like the reason we were able to respond so calmly and with love was because we had done it so poorly before and it had been long enough for us to recognize that how we did it before was not appropriate and that uh, love, doing it with love would, was how we wish we could have done it. And I, I used to tell my kids, I mean, I've apologized to all of them a thousand times for how I responded when they left the church. And I, and I would say, if I had a do-over, this is what I would do. And this is what I would say. And the day Sally called to tell me that she was gay, in my head, immediately, I know this was my do-over. I knew it right away. You are getting a do-over here, Nan. Do it right. And I was able to respond well and with love. Um, when our two youngest boys got home from their missions, the family they left was looked totally different than the family they came home to. Um, Shane was a brother to them. And, and he was home crying in his soup. And here was Lena. Um, I think when our youngest son, Joe, came home, uh, Sally, actually the day that Joe came home, we all were at the airport. 
welcome home Joe. And then we went out to lunch and after lunch, we said, okay, we need to go help Sally and Lena move into their house that they just found to move in together. So right then that very day, that's all the welcome home Joe got was, you know, maybe two hours. And then we went straight to this house that we'd never been to. I had met Lena once, no one else had met her. The family met her and we just said, okay, tell us what you want. And we started moving furniture and putting together beds and doing all the stuff. Um, we got to know Lena's kids. Uh, Joe stayed a couple of weeks with them, brave young men, and so that he could continue to help them before it was time for him to start BYU. And during those weeks, he, he came to see that his sister was the wonderful, perfect sister that he had idolized his whole life just the same as she was before he left. So he, it did not take him very long to decide he could not be part of a church who said Sally was a different person than she was before. So he left. Um, by then it was not old hat, but I was not shocked and I was able to respond at least calmly, if not perfectly. And uh, so, yeah, um, all of that happened three years ago. We all learned to love Lena and her four darling boys. And um, they uh, were wise in waiting some time before they got married. I didn't know when Sally introduced me to Lena, I thought, you know, is she, are they planning to get married next month? We didn't know what, they were moving so fast. So they waited three years to get married and the wedding, you only saw a glimpse of it on the series. In real life, it was magical and the best party any of us have ever been to. And that's where we are. Um, I'll tell you a little bit, um, the way that the show came to be, Sally and Lena, after they'd been together for a year, uh, took some pictures on the beach. They live on Huntington Beach, just right across from the sand. And they took some pictures with all their kids with some rainbow clothes and uh, joined an Instagram site called Same Sex Parents. And they posted one of their pictures on there. And you've seen those seven darling kids. They're as cute as could be. And so are Sally and Lena. And the, the photo got a lot of attention. Um, a producer for Diane Sawyer in New York City, who's also a lesbian and also has is married and has a child, is also on that same sex parents Instagram page. And she saw the picture and told herself, this could be an interesting story. This could be a passion project for me because it's so close to my own heart. So she called Sally out of the blue one day and they started talking and that led to a meeting and another meeting and one thing led to another and they decided that Sally and Lena agreed to let them film them for a documentary. And at first it was just gonna be maybe 20 minutes on 2020. And then they said, well, maybe it'll be an hour documentary. So the film crew showed up in May of 2021 
and it was little Ozzy's birthday and Rod and I were in town to celebrate his birthday. And as we were driving into town, Sally called. They hadn't told us about this whole idea of doing a documentary because they weren't quite sure how it was gonna go. And she called and said, mom, I've got news. We're doing a documentary. The film crew is here right now. When you get here, they're gonna put a mic on you and they're gonna be with us for all four days that you're in town. And you know, we were just so surprised and we asked a million questions and Sally didn't know the answer to any of it. So we just said, okay. And we showed up and she had GoPros all over her house, GoPros in her car. Um, the whole shebang was already going when we arrived and sure enough, they put mics on us and for four days straight, they filmed. They put together a 15 minute um, teaser and then sent it to the decision makers in New York. And they said, not only do we wanna do this, but after seeing Rod and Nan and this whole Mormon aspect of, of how they felt about it and how it was harder for them when Sally left the church than it was when she came out. And that seemed strange to us. And they said, we're gonna pivot. And this is gonna be Sally and Lena's story, but it's also gonna bring in Sally's family and other people that had been on Sally's podcast and things. So then it kind of changed and they filmed all of us for an entire year until the wedding day just two months ago. So it was nothing any of us expected and uh, it was super scary and because it's a news program under ABC News, they don't pay you anything. So nobody made any money. Um, and you have no idea how they're going to edit it. So it seemed like every time they talked to me, I ended up in tears every time. And I just knew they were going to edit me to be the crying lady behind in the background in every scene in every episode. So when it came out, I was really surprised that they showed very little of me crying because I cried every time. Um, they had a whole entire year of footage of Sally's whole family. We lived up in just outside of San Francisco. They came up and stayed up with us several weekends and filmed us, filmed us with friends, filmed us going to church. Um, so it could have, they have hundreds of hours of all of us on the cutting room floor right now. And we were all so nervous about what the show would look like. And we are all happy and relieved at how it turned out. So that's enough of me talking. I don't know if we can ever get enough of you talking. That's amazing, that glimpse behind the curtain um, of how it all happened. That is just incredible to hear from you. So yeah, I think now if Nan's ready, we'll open it to some questions. If you have a question, uh, go ahead and, and raise your uh, Zoom hand and we'll just start fielding some questions. <laughs> Melinda, let's start with you. All right. Hi, Nan. I'm so happy that you are here. Thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to us. Um, I thought the show was so well done. And 
I, I had no idea it could have been anything that you had suggested it could have been. So I think um, my main question I have, I have a million for you, but I can't take the whole <laughs> night. <laughs> but my main question is, could you tell maybe just a little bit more about when you and your husband left? Did you leave at the same time from the church? Um, what? Because um, in the show, they show you like putting on your pins and going into the church, and then they show you foreign shoulders. So I just wanted to know a little bit about that transition for you. Okay. Okay, thank you for asking. Um, I will give you the shortened version. Yesterday I did a podcast series, a podcast episode with Sally and Lena detailing the, my whole faith transition from beginning to end. Sally kept telling me that people are writing in asking that exact same question. Like we saw your mom all in and then at the end we saw her, saw her all out. What, what happened in the middle? So she wanted to do an episode about that. And we did um, over an hour episode about it. My, my faith evolution was not exactly typical. I didn't have a shelf where I put things on and resisted thinking about them. And then things kept piling up. And then one day the shelf broke. That wasn't me. It was probably my husband would describe his maybe a little bit that way. Um, I, like I said, I grew up with pioneer ancestry. I grew up with this enormous responsibility on my shoulders to carry our family forward that my dad had given me. Um, I thought about my dad nonstop. I mean, even to this day, and he's been gone 32 years. I think about him, maybe not every day, but almost. He was just the greatest person ever for me. And um, I made a lot of decisions in my life based on what I think my dad would have me do. So as I grew up and, and went to college and went to Institute and started hearing about Joseph Smith's polygamy and a few things, my answer to myself was, well, Heavenly Father's got this figured out. He must have a good reason. Um, I had 100% trust in Heavenly Father, and I just knew he, he had my dad up there. He was taking care of my dad. He had me and my family down here, and, and I considered myself kind of like maybe a kindergartner who just didn't know all the answers yet, and I was very content with that. Some of my friends got so upset during Insta class one, Institute class one day when we were having a polygamy discussion. And they just said, you know, this is so wrong. And I just said, guys, we don't have all the answers. We're just little babies compared to God. He knows what he's doing. Just trust him. And it, it didn't make me angry. It didn't make me, um, you know, question my whole faith. I just trusted Heavenly Father. And as life went on, that's what I continued to do. So anytime challenges came up, um, anytime something new came to my attention that I was unaware of, I just said, well, A, I trust Heavenly Father with all my heart, and he's, he's got a plan that goes far beyond what I could ever understand. And B, I would never question anything my dad taught me. So it's okay. We'll just, we'll just let it be. And I just press forward. 
Um, when my kids left the church, I felt like I had followed the church's recipe to the T. I mean, we did not miss scripture study. We had family home evening. We did all the things. The kids were, you know, involved in everything, went to EFY and all that good stuff. And I followed the recipe and put them in the oven. And then when they were 28 years old, I opened up that oven to take them out. And it was not what the church told me I would find. And so when they left, it just rocked me to my very core. I knew I had done my very best job. I made a thousand mistakes raising kids like we all do, but I had done my best and I followed the rules and it didn't work. So that was my first time to think, hmm, what is this big plan? What is, why is Heavenly Father telling me one thing through his prophets and through Relief Society lessons? And then I'm finding out that it doesn't always work like they say it will work. So that was, I, I didn't allow myself to be cracked open enough to really say, so does that mean maybe this church is all wrong? But I did allow it to make me think, um, I need to question a little bit more. So my mind was a little bit more open. Um, there was a general conference talk somewhere in that time frame, maybe two years ago. I can't think who it was right now. But um, they said, if you leave the church, the, you're just on a slippery slope down to the gutter. You are, you are going to take up worldly pursuits. You, how, you know, your children won't have an anchor. Nothing will matter. Um, all the meaning will go out of your life. And as I was watching that conference talk, I thought to myself, I have four kids who are living proof that you are wrong. And I, I had never felt a feeling like that before. Like, you are dead wrong. My kids have every bit as much as integri of integrity. They are, you know, upright citizens, very intentional, dedicated parents. They are all the things that you would want your children to be and that they were before they left the church. And I sat there and said, if this guy is so wrong, then maybe God isn't speaking to our leaders in their ear every day. And maybe there are other things that might not be exactly right. And maybe they don't speak for God in every way. And that probably was my first real tipping point of, I am going to think about this and I am going to question. And so with all of our reading and studying and me starting to realize that everything was really a mess um, with church history, especially with policies now, I got to the point and my husband was about six months ahead of me by this time. He was ready to call it quits. And I couldn't let go of my dad. 
I, I, I was gripping so tightly to my dad and the trust he had in me. And um, my brother and I had a conversation one day and my brother had left several years before, left the church. And he told me that that had been his biggest hurdle and that he had finally come to the realization that if there was a God, if there is a heaven and if dad is up there, that he knows everything and sees everything and that he would not want us to suffer here on earth in order to honor him. That he would tell us, love your children that are with you now. Don't spend the rest of your life trying to honor me when I'm dead. Um, he sent me an, a quote from Adam Grant, my brother did, and it said something like that, like rather than spend your time honoring your ancestors, take a, take a look around at who you have now and, and make decisions based on that instead. And when I was finally able to let go of that idea of not disappointing Heavenly Father, because if he really is there, then he knows I'm just trying to do the right thing, the thing that I think is right. And my dad will feel the same way. And I was finally able to just say, okay, all these books that I've read, all these podcasts, I can let them in now and I don't have to keep resisting. And of course, when I let it all in and I really looked at it as objectively as I could, that was the end. That was the end. The day I bought that dress I wore to the wedding was um, kind of like a decision day. Like, am I really gonna wear this? Then this is saying something and this is a big step. And um, so yeah, that's, that's my faith transition in a nutshell. Thank you. And you wore the dress very well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think that dress itself is almost one of the stars of the series too. Everyone's about that. And I have to say, when your son said to you, mom, I've never seen your shoulders. And then he said, you look like you. That describes it so perfectly when you have the freedom to be yourself, whether it is wearing something you want or saying something you want. And it was also, I thought, almost very poignant when, you know, he said, you now can be like you. That was, that was just a moment for me, for sure. So yeah. Lance, I think you had a question and then we'll go right to Tom after that too. Yeah, that was our favorite part. We were cheering when you wore that, when you brought, <laughs> came out in that dress. <laughs> so we love that moment. Uh, Thank you. So I, I wanted to thank you because so many of us who have left the church or, or those that are struggling to leave the church, I think they, they say, what's gonna happen to my family? And as I watched the show, you and the relationship you had with your family, no matter who was leaving or what was happening, you guys were always loving each other. It was, it was just, you were always laughing and together and having fun and you showed that you can leave and, and you don't lose your family. You don't, it's not a miserable experience. You can be happy and leave, and leave, your and leave the church. And so we, we really appreciated that from you. So the question I have for you then is, you made it look so easy with the different people leaving at different times and that you were so happy. Was it that easy? Did you have times where, where it was struggling or uh, is that, did you have the secret sauce that you were always that way with your family that uh, you just are, are that way, always happy together? Well, I think that we, we all had tight relationships while the kids grew up. We were very close. 
we're a family who likes to take on adventures and we we did a lot together. And so we were lucky to have a solid foundation there. But that does not mean it was easy. It was not, not easy. Um, when my first son left, we had the conversation on the phone. He was living in the Dominican Republic at the time and we already had tickets to go visit him in like three weeks. And I didn't wanna go, I was too hurt. I thought he had flushed everything I ever taught him down the drain. Um, we went anyway, the trip was okay, but you know, there was an elephant in the room. And so then we would talk about it until three in the morning and I was crying and my son was trying to explain. And then we wouldn't talk about it for a couple of days. And it, it was rough. Um, his wife was not happy with his decision at first. It took her a couple of years before she left after that. Uh, and so there were hard spots. When Sally left, oh boy, I mean, I have four sons and Sally and she's my best friend and, and I'm hers and we talk about everything. And Sally was the gospel doctrine teacher at the time and she was young and she was so good at it. Her bishop said, we are never gonna release you. You're the best one we've ever had. And she would call me every week, mom, have you got a good story for me about the word of wisdom? That's what it's about this week. You know, I need some help. And then I would call her and say, okay, I'm having this activity for the young women. What do you suggest? And I mean, the church was, was everything. And when we'd go visit her, I would sing the kids' primary songs when I sing them to bed. And just, it was like probably all of you experienced, it was the center of most everything. So when she left, um, we went down to visit her maybe a month after for something. And we had a couple of good talks and we tried. And when we got in the car to come home, I just shut that car door and started bawling. And I cried from Huntington Beach to San Francisco. And I yelled and Rod was driving and I said, she says this isn't gonna change our relationship. What is she thinking? She doesn't even know am I just going to have to have small talk with her for the rest of my life about the weather that we can't talk about church? I, I can't, I, you know, can I pray with the kids? Probably not. Can I sing in primary songs? Can we, you know, what are we even going to talk about when we call on the phone? I thought it was the end of my friendship with Sally and my relationship. And I thought we will forever be just trying to think of things to say to each other. I mean, that's a very naive thing to think, but that's exactly what I thought. So it was rough. It was rough. Um, so I had to go home and basically get over myself and realize this wasn't about me. When my first son left and I told him, you just flushed 20 years of my hard work teaching you down the drain, you know, as though he was doing it to me. and. And I had to really go home and get all the tears out and then really think about um, my kids love me. I, they would not hurt me purposefully in a million years. I'm sure it was very hard for them to tell us. And I just had to get over myself and say, man, this really has nothing to do with you. 
And once I could do that, I could tiptoe my way back into a normal relationship with Sally and Alex. And I, I described it as <clears throat> like our whole family was hiking up a mountain together. And Rod and I were at the front and all the five kids were coming. And we got closer and closer and everybody's just following along like they should. And then suddenly a giant crack opens up in the, in the mountain and there's a big deep crack that goes down and Rod and I are already past that crack and the kids are on the other side. And we say, oh, they're clear over there and we're clear over here. Oh my gosh, our family's broken in half. That crack is so big, there's no way we'll ever get over it. What are we gonna do? But every phone call that went well was one little plank of wood over that crack. And then we'd have, you know, a family Zoom chat when grandpa died and, and we all got on there together and it went really well. So that was one more plank across that crack. And day by day, conversation by conversation, um, we started to build a bridge across that crack. It took a long time. It took a long time. I think maybe twice during those first six months, Sally called me and said, can I just be really honest? This is what you're doing and saying that's hurting me. And I love you, mom. And I know you would never hurt me on purpose. So I wanna tell you this for both our sakes, because I want us to be how we've always been. And I know you do too. So she was very generous in being patient with me. And um, we, we kept putting planks on with all the kids until the bridge got strong enough that the kids could come across and we could go back the other way and go spend time at their house and, and not sing primary songs. I mean, I had to Google bedtime songs for kids that don't mention Jesus, you know, so that I could show my love to the kids and my love to Sally in a new way. And, and so we would go across the bridge back to their side in ways like that. And then they would come to our side. And now that bridge is so solid, it is made out of pure concrete and you can't ever tell there was ever a crack there. And I am happy and, and proud of us and proud of my kids with each other because you know, they didn't all walk away at the same time. And um, my first son, the, my son, Alex, who left first, he was talking to Sally's husband, Shane, and the two of them were reading together. And then Shane carefully tiptoed and talked to Sally after about a year. And, and uh, Alex talked to his wife. And so they were talking to each other. And then my oldest son kind of joined in and one by one, uh, they went. Um, somebody is asking me what broke the very first sun shelf. And I tell you, it was the book Rough Stone Rolling. His wife had read it and she thought it was great. And she loved knowing more about Joseph Smith. And she said, here, honey, you should read this. And he said, 
that book picked me up by the ankles and shook me upside down and all my marbles and lunch money came spilling out everywhere and I didn't know what was up or what was down and and uh, I couldn't manage all the thoughts that I had. And so he, he was kind of like us. He started reading a few other faithful stories, books, and then quickly shifted to Reddit and all the other things, found John DeLynn and all that stuff. So he, he told us later he did have a shelf with things that, you know, certain things that happened on a mission and certain... Um, you know, the first time he went through the temple was very difficult for him and he got over it pretty quick, but he tells us now that he really didn't get over it quick and that it really bothered him. So he had quite a few things on that shelf when he read that book and finally it cracked and there it went. Yeah, I think that book has done a lot of people in. <laughs> when we read it in book club, boy, that was quite the discussion. So. No, I, lo I love your story. I love the fact that instead of pulling away from your children, which yeah. I think a lot of us have experienced, um, you pushed forward fiercely, determined fiercely. to regain the relationship. Yeah. And, and that's something different. A lot of us have experienced the opposite where people, the things you described, pull away. It's just too uncomfortable. You don't know. But here you are Googling bedtime songs so that you can <laughs> fit it. No, yeah. it's amazing. It speaks volumes. It's, it gives me goosebumps again. Uh, Tom, I think you had a question next. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really uh, honored to be able to meet you even in this format and Thank you. Uh, not to go on all that. We've already done all that and, and <laughs> accolades and how awesome this is for all of us. But um, I think you need your own show, man, <laughs> your own show. So I'll just say that I'll put that out there. I guess the one question I have is, um, I said this to my wife last night, to Rebecca, Rebecca is my wife, and um, is where do you land with deity or God, Jesus, or whatever, what, when you leave the tr true church, and I don't know if you've gone through all this already or how this, what this conversation is like, or if it's, if it's not something you want to talk about, but I just wonder, where do you sit now with those ideas? Yeah. Well, Mostly where I sit is that I have learned that I don't know as much as I thought I knew. Mm. And that thought, I saw somebody online post a pie chart and it had a, it was all blue except for this little triangle. And it said, this triangle is stuff that I know. And then it had another green triangle right here that wasn't very big. And it said, stuff that I know I don't know. And then all the rest of the whole pie, which was 90% is stuff I don't even know that I don't know. And that really spoke to me. I must have seen that, uh, you know, four months ago. I, I've come to the understanding that I don't know hardly anything. So I get to choose what I want to believe. It really comes down to just choosing. And for right now, at this time in the place where I am, Rod and I have chosen to believe in God. We pray our whole marriage. We have prayed morning together and night together, both of us holding hands. Um, 
we talked about if we were going to continue that and we both decided we wanted to. We feel so grateful for all the usual things that we've always been grateful for, but for the fact that we have come through this difficult five or six years and come through Sally coming out and worrying about Shane and just all the new things, we just have so much to be thankful for that we want to take the opportunity to express our gratitude. Whether it's going up to God or going out to the universe, we've chosen to continue to pray twice a day and to feel grateful for that. So for me, kind of in part because of my dad, I like the belief. I'm gonna choose to believe that my dad's up there. My mom just passed away last year after being a widow for 32 years. And the idea of them being together again is the happiest thing ever. And I'm gonna choose to think that. And I, I acknowledge that there's a good chance I could be wrong, but that's okay. That's okay. And uh, so that's where we are right now. Great. Thank you. You, you need your own show. Seriously. <laughs> that was awesome. Your own show. No, and I'm, I'm taking notes here. Uh, just uh, you say, wonderful. when you know you don't know, you're free to choose. I mean, yes. what a freeing idea, what a positive idea, what a beautiful idea. When a lot of people on the other side of, of religion, they don't know what they're lost and they feel dark. They don't know how to, you know, regain that positivity. So I love that you have chosen that goosebumps again. <laughs> Brian, and I know, you know, in the church, um, uh, a lot of times we market ourselves one way, but then in reality, in the day-to-day, -day, it's not that way. And <clears throat> I can't count the number of times a, a leader, a bishop or state president would get out the handbook to look up how I'm supposed to think, what I'm supposed to do, how, right down to the number of earrings I've got, to the number of, you know, how many inches above the knees the girls' shorts have to be at girls' camp because I'm the leader. And so my shorts need to be longer. I mean, the handbook, it, I used to just get, it just cringe when somebody plop out that handbook and set it down or then get online. Let's see what the handbook has to say. And that is one of the things that makes me smile every day now. There is, I'm 61. I maybe have 20 good years left, maybe longer if I'm lucky. And there is no handbook. I wake up every day saying, what are you gonna choose to believe? What are you gonna choose to do? No handbook for me. No, I love that. We're all writing our own handbooks now. That yeah. is so perfect. I just love it. Brian, what was your question? Yeah, um, thank you so much, man, for doing this. I just wanted to say, I think, um, you and Sal look so similar. It's uh, <laughs> it's really fun to see. Thank you. Um, okay. I'm gonna ramble for just a bit so I can set up my question. Um, but when I was watching the show, and at first the show kind of portrayed you, even when Sal first came out, as you were still in and believing. I don't know if that Very was, true. was that Very accurate true. to the timeline yes. of things. Um, and when Sal came out as gay, um, it looked like you were still very in the church. And then there was a final episode where you had kind of said in the show, like, and now at this point I'm out. And I'll, I will admit um, when you, when I first heard you say that, I was a little disappointed at first, 
not because um, I think anybody should stay in the church. I'm not in the church. Um, it didn't work for me and I couldn't continue to engage in an authentic way for myself. But um, the way that you were so loving and supportive of your daughter, I just thought um, there's gonna continue to be people, um, kids who are LGBTQ and need love and support from within this church community. They're still gonna be continue to be members and the church needs people like you. And if everyone that could act like that leaves, um, it's just gonna be a worse place for those who are still in and for those who are marginalized and on the margins of things. And I thought to myself, you know, there are people who maybe through a faith transition, they realize maybe they don't believe things the same way, but um, for them, the church can still be a spiritual home where it can still be their base to engage with spirituality, even if they don't believe things literally the same way they used to. So all that's the preamble. My question is um, through your whole process, uh, especially with you continuing to choose to believe in God and to engage with uh, a sense of spirituality, did you ever feel like you could engage with the church at all and that it could be a spiritual place for you and you could be one of those that's kind of changing things from within, which is needed? Um, mm-hmm. And um, I guess kind of, did you ever think about that and what led to where you are now where you couldn't yeah. do it? So as soon as you started getting to the point of asking question, I knew exactly what you were going to ask. And I have thought about, I thought about it before I said those words on the last episode. I thought about it a thousand times afterwards that in a way by me saying on screen that I'm leaving, I just lost credibility in a way with you know, I wish I had a, I, I wish I could teach, I wish there was a calling in church where it was how to manage when your child leaves the church or how to handle it when your child comes out as LGBT. You know, we have, how many classes have we had on food storage and on preparing for a disaster? We have, you know, we're all supposed to put together a 72 hour kit and a backpack for each kid under their bed that we can grab and go. And we need food storage kept in our house. And they give us a, a book that tells us how many gallons of water per person. And we're all preparing for that disaster. I mean, we just moved to Utah eight weeks ago and our next door neighbors have enough food storage to feed all of Provo They have a whole room in their house just to hold their food storage. And I I think I can say with pretty surety, I don't like to say anything with real surety anymore, but I would be willing to bet that there is a far greater chance that one of their kids or their grandkids is going to leave the church or come out of the closet long before there's any disaster where they need to get into that food storage, long before they're grabbing their 72-hour kit and going. Yet, do we have any classes on that? Do any of us have a room in our house just for building relationships? Do we have a room just for repairing relationships or talking about hard things? Do we have classes on how to talk about hard things that get real? We don't. And I wish there was a class like that in the church. And I want to be the teacher because I've learned the hard way and, and 
I kind of, once we got into this filming, I could kind of see that that was how the producers were gonna make me as this mom who was still believing but loved her kids so much that she was learning how to love them in these new ways. And I wanted to be that for all the Mormon moms, all the people my age who are, who are trying not to think about their granddaughter who wrote them an email that said she was gay. And they wrote back, of course, we still love you, but don't ask us to put a pride flag up. You know, um, I wanted to be the captain of the teaching all those people. So truthfully, when we were waiting for it to come out, we had about a month between the last, the wedding day and then when it came out. I, I talked to Rod about it a lot. I'm like, maybe I hope they don't show that I said that. Maybe then I can be the person that the other Mormon moms can look to. And I'm afraid if they show that, it, they're gonna be able to say, see, that's what happens. That's what happens when you walk across the bridge to their side on occasion and you listen to their ideas. You end up going down that slippery slope and then you're out too. So the truth is, is I have, I can't do anything about it now. It's out there. So I have to let that go. Um, when the last probably eight months of church when we were living outside of San Francisco is when we were really, especially my husband, he was just getting, it was getting harder and harder. He was a high councilman and every month he gave a talk on Jesus said, love everyone. And he couldn't think of new ways to say it, you know? And, and we were, I was raising my hand and saying, how would this lesson feel if somebody was in here who was questioning their testimony? How would they feel about this lesson today? Can we talk about that for a minute? And some people didn't like that. Um, so when we left and we didn't tell anybody in California that we were leaving the church and the show hadn't come out, we didn't know if they put that my part in there anyway. We drove off and came to Utah um, we had made a decision a couple of years ago that we thought Utah would be a good place to retire for a lot of reasons. Um, we came here, we, let me see, I'm losing track of my thought, just one second. Um, oh yeah, so we bought a lot in Mapleton a couple of years ago uh, when some friends of ours did and we decided this would be a good place to come to. Um, and so when we arrived, uh, our friends who had moved here a year earlier said, hooray, hooray, you're finally here. You can start building your house on this lot and you're going to love the ward so much because we hadn't told a soul and you're going to love it. And it was Easter this year. Oh, come, come to church, sit by us for the Easter program and then come to dinner. So we went two weeks to church in Mapleton. And of course, and my intent was, we're just going to go. We're just going to, that's going to be all our friends and our neighbors. And I'm a grown up, and now I can choose to think what I want. So I can be somebody who just shows up. They have a term for it here uh, PEMO, physically in, mentally out, I think, which I had never heard before. And I said, okay, I can be one of those people, and we'll just go 
enjoy the camaraderie, you know, give little nudges about LGBTQ and try to help people. And I tell you, two weeks was all I could do. And um, of course, everyone was so nice to us. And of course, they're great people and, and doing great things. But once you have those blinders off and you hear a talk all the way from here, instead of only hear a talk from here, you just, you just hear the hypocrisy and you hear, you guys all know this way better than I do. And, and two weeks and I, we left church. And as we drove back to the place, we, our hotel, I said, I can't do this. I can't be a PMO person. And Rod said, I said, you can go, hon. You go as much as you want if you think this is something you can do. But I don't think I can do it. And we haven't been back. So I, yeah, I have lots of thoughts and, and emotions about all of that. But for us right now at this time, I can't do it. Maybe once I've lived in Utah a year and I'm all comfortable with the lingo again and all that, maybe when we build this house, we think we're gonna build, then I could go, I don't know. But I'm, I'm not gonna worry about the future. I'm worrying, I'm just gonna think about now. And for right now, I, I just can't do it. So I probably did lose some, you know, I don't know, followers or whatever when I, when I said that at the end of the show, and I could have been uh, an example of how to do it and stay in. So sorry to all those people. Well, as someone said in the chat, they burst into tears when they heard that um, on the show, when you said that. And I think a lot of us just went, oh my goodness. And I remember saying to my husband, Nan is the most dangerous person to the church right now. And it's impossible to discredit your story. A lifetime member who did everything right and then chose love. You didn't leave to sin. You didn't leave because of all these other misconceptions that they have. You're a wonderful person, but you chose love and you had to. And you are the most dangerous person to the church right now. It's, it's again, the goosebumps. Emily, it's a, you had a, it's a crazy thought to think that, you know, somewhere in Salt Lake, all those straight white guys at uh, 50 North Temple know my name. Yeah, they're aware. <laughs> oh boy, they're aware. Yeah, well, <laughs> what happens? I don't know. Emily, what was your question? Well, I just had a quick question about how um, Nan feels about Shane and if that gets in the way with how her relationship with Lena develops. Because um, at least, um, for me, and my situation is completely different, but um, I'm in a happy heterosexual marriage, but I came out to my family as bisexual when I left the, um, when I left Mormonism to try and help them understand why I had so much um, hurt and, uh, you know, anyway, but it didn't work. They didn't understand. And there were a lot of you know, really hurtful things that were said, but um, mostly my family was worried about my husband and they were more worried. It felt like they were more worried about him and how my sexuality affected him than they were really worried about how they were showing me love. And 
um, I'm not sure if it's just the way it was edited, but a little bit in the movie, in the show, it feels a little bit like, um, you know, especially because your sons, you know, grew up thinking of Shane as a brother, they almost, um, you know, it almost seems like a little bit that you still wish Shane was your son-in-law and Lena is someone you put up with. And I wonder if that's something that you kind of had to teach yourself to accept better or, or anyway, I'm just wondering if that's something okay. that I'm just reading into yeah. or. No, you are, you are seeing that that is not um, a 100% a peaceful situation yet. Um, so I will say that when Sally and Lena came together and moved in together and then started divorce proceedings and we went through all that, that was the biggest challenge. That was the, the um, sticking point for Sally and she got hurt. She told us that we were hurting her by continuing to love Shane. Um, so when Sally first came out, Shane was so kind and so generous. And he, I texted him after Sally talked to me a couple of times and I said, you know, how are you? Are you okay? She seems to be moving fast. And he just said, Nan, trust Sally. She knows what's best. Our family's just gonna grow in love. That's all, it's gonna be good. But that lasted about a month. And then when Sally and Lena said, mm, we think we're gonna move in together and we found a house and uh, the kids would, are all little and they'd be better with us. And thanks husbands, we're going, you know, goodbye. Uh, Shane's eyes were open like, I just lost everything. They'd been married 14 years and I just lost everything in my life that counts in one fell swoop. And he suddenly just, um, it just dawned on him. Oh my gosh, my life is over. And, you know, they'd been out of the church a couple of years and I think that boy, well, I have to be careful what I say on here, but he, he drank himself you know, into a curled up ball on the couch that didn't even know what time of day it was. And he was so despondent. And it had only been maybe a week after he, it dawned on him, Sally was scared for him. And she called me and said, mom, you gotta come down and help Shane. I don't know what to do. I, I can't physically get him off the couch. Um, please. And, and I flew down there and tried to help him. I'm a nurse. And I tried to talk to him about, you can't have alcohol and this drug at the same time and, and tried to help him. I mean, we love Shane. My kids have all teased me since Shane joined our family all those years ago that I like him better than any of them. And he is just the favorite. And we all, uh, you know, Alex, considers him his very best friend. And, and we just all love him. He uh, has been so good to Sam and Joe when they were little, he helped raise them. And anyway, 
we couldn't so so when Shane got to that point Sally wanted him to buck up and she wanted him to like just realize I'm gay it's not that I don't like you it's not that I don't love you as a person you're a great dad you're a great friend but I'm gay so so long and you gotta get on board Shane and we as outsiders could see that that wasn't going to happen and so we became you know we were kind of caretakers of Shane and his mental state for some time um we would stay down there with him at his house and different things uh to help get him through this and Sally felt like what the heck you know I didn't do this to him I'm not I'm not it's not like I had an affair. It's not like I, I don't like him or think he did something wrong. Um, one day I told Sally, if a person has a broken leg and there's five broken bones and from the top to the bottom, there's breaks. It doesn't matter if he got those breaks from falling down the stairs or from somebody purposely hitting him. It still hurts really bad. So you can't expect him to just say, well, this isn't really Sally's fault because she didn't know she was gay. So I guess I'm fine. That, that is just too much to expect. Um, and there was tension for a while. Um, there was certainly no harsh words or, or you know, harsh disagreements or anything like that. But there was some tension where Sally said, you guys are so nice to him and he just needs to grow up, you know? This is all in the very first few months. And um, it, it took her a while to recognize that his pain, um, just like she said, I didn't cause that. It's just because I'm gay. She needs to realize now the fact that he doesn't want to be best friends with Lena, um, he's not doing that to be mean to Sally. He's doing that for his own mental health. He's not in a place yet where he can hang out with Lena. But I tell you, that boy has come so, so, so far. He couldn't say two words without crying for a year. And he, you saw him on there. He's the most tenderhearted, sweet, kind, soft-spoken uh, guy. And it, it took him a while, but he has come miles and he will keep coming miles. And you know, when we first met Lena, she's so different than Sally. She's the girly girl I always thought I wanted and didn't get with Sal. Um, so I didn't even know in the very beginning like how to communicate about all the things she was into. Um, but it didn't take us long to just embrace Lena and those four kids wholeheartedly. On our second visit to, to SoCal, we, we went down almost once a month and we would stay four days over a long weekend. And we, I read bedtime stories to Lena's four little boys and they were just, Lena's family isn't super close. And so she, they hadn't really had much in the way of grandparents. And those boys were, they were eating out of the palm of my hand and they were so cute. And I looked at Lena and she was just crying. And afterwards she said they've never had something like that. And, and 
I told them all, I'm your grandma now and you can call me grandma and you can talk to me. And boy, they called us grandpa and grandma from that day forward. And when they got married in May this year, I told them all, I had this big ceremony where I said, it's now official and legal. I'm your legal grandma now. So now every time I, we tended all seven kids while they went on a honeymoon for eight days, Rod and I did, and it was craziness. But every night when I tucked them in, I said, good night, my official grandson. Good night, my legal grandson. And they would say, good night, my legal grandma. And, and we've just enveloped them into our family like they've been there forever. And Shane is okay with that 100%. And Lena understands and Sally understands now that Shane will be part of our family forever. And all of that has been worked out. But, but those feelings you were expressing, she, I can't see your face, the one who asked the question, where you felt your parents were paying more attention to your spouse's pain instead of to your new discovery. Those are the exact same words Sally said to us. So don't let that become a big obstacle in your relationship. That's what I would advise. Give your parents time hold space for them while they figure this out. It's new for you. It's new for them. And, you know, a year ago when you were happily married to this person, you wanted your parents to love him wholeheartedly. And now suddenly you don't want them to be so concerned with him. So you've got to, you've got to hold space for your parents and give them some grace to just figure this out and they'll come around just like we all do eventually. Yeah, that's wonderful. You can't turn it on and then turn it off like that. And I think yeah. all of us felt a lot of empathy for Shane who watched it and we all wanted him to be okay. And um, the scene, I think it was at the birthday party where your husband just hugged yeah. him, kind of slugged him. And it was just like, see, they are just embracing him. They are trying so hard to make him feel good in, in this devastating situation that he's in through no real fault of anyone, but it's still the pain is real. So we could tell from that that your family was just embracing everyone from Shane, yes. the new grandchildren, and again, just leading with love. And I think that's making all the difference. So yeah. it's just beautiful to hear that. Just, just yeah. amazing. Tom, did you have another question? And then Melinda, and I, then I think we need to let Dan. You do. <laughs> I know, it's just... her own show or her own advice line, something. We've got more, so no. <laughs> yeah, let's have uh, Tom and then Melinda and then we'll kind of say goodbye because it is this getting- This is just really after. fast. I'm just going to say this, that listening to you, Nan, articulate this experience, this is an experience that I do not think that we readily have been taught or experience or have experienced in our church life where we have been this authentic or vulnerable or open, shame-free to be. And I'm just, I'm just realizing that when I hear this language spoken in this, for lack of a better word, I'm not going to say spirit. I'm just going to say mojo or, or feeling. I'm going to say like, where's this in the manual that people are walking away with these lessons. And it's almost like, you mean we leave, I said this in a comment the other day, I said we leave to come back to ourselves, not necessarily come back to the church, but leave to come back to who we are. And we take that, which becomes this love that transcends all this, you know what? And my mother was divorced with 11 kids. I'm not gonna go into it, 
But I, I'm hearing your story and I'm like, my mother had to have a great deal of love. And I, 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 I hear it in you. I'm sorry, I'm rambling, Rebecca, but I hear it in you and I'm like, oh, my mother used to think, oh, it's over, it's over, it's over. Oh my God, <sighs> not this child. And then she's passed on. We're still here. Mm -hmm. There's peace. Yeah. So thank you. God bless you, whatever God, sorry, anybody else, but whatever. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate so much what you have said tonight. And I wish others, not, not in a negative way, but other people, other members, other people that are swirling around the church, actively TBM'd or whatever, could catch some of this for what it really is, is authentic love. Thank you mm -hmm. so much. Thank yeah. you. It's, it's, a, it's a true um, honor and opportunity and great thing for me to be able to talk about it because I feel like the mistakes I've made and the missteps um, can be partially healed by talking about it and maybe helping somebody else do better than I did. So I'm happy to get this chance. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. Melinda, did you have a comment? Yes, and this can really just be a yes or no answer. I, I appreciate you having given up so much of your time tonight, but I. I've been trying to like, I haven't met your whole family. So I've been trying to like, make sure I've got them all my ducks in a row. So is your youngest son, is he out now as well? Or is so your our youngest one or? is out. Okay. So we have three older kids and we had 10 year space and then these two boys. So the last two boys are Sam and Joe. Sam has pink hair and his wife was in the program at the end episode. Um, and then the last one is Joe and Joe is not married and Joe is out. Sam and his wife, Sam is 100% Pimo, he is 100% out in his mind, but his sweet wife is not there yet. She's come a long way and he is being so patient and just saying, I am choosing love and I'm choosing my wife right now. And, and he said to us, um, we were with him just last week and he said, uh, you know, some weeks at church are really hard for me, but I'm choosing her uh, and I will be patient for as long as I can be so that this doesn't cause any contention. So, um, it, oh, sorry. What about Lena's ex-husband? Is, did he, has he stayed oh, or has he left? Paul is awesome. Paul is uh, a teddy bear. Um, he is uh, just He's not quite as, um, I don't know what I want to say. He's, you know, Shane has built himself a community with tons of friends since the divorce. And Paul has been a little bit slower to do that. So it works out really well that he feels comfortable hanging out with Sally and Lena and the kids. And he is... Um, I think from almost day one, he came over every Sunday morning for pancakes and they were just all a family and uh, he is awesome. And he has loved Rod and I right in and we love him and he texts us and yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he, he had, he's had some hard things in his own life. He fought, you know, in Iran and in Afghanistan. And so he'd been through his share of hard things and he was, skilled at figuring it all out you know so um yeah he's terrific he and shane are friends 
Yeah. Well, again, man, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I actually feel like your entire family needs its own show now, like the entire <laughs> extended family. I think we would all watch that and, and we would absolutely learn so much. All right. I don't want to end, but I feel like we have. Um, when I first asked uh, Nan if she could, we typically have these bonus book club events on Tuesday night. And she said, no, I'm doing something else on Tuesday night. Why don't you tell us just very briefly a little bit about that when you guys okay. moved to Utah and you jumped right in and you're volunteering. Very exciting. Yes, we did. The first week we got to Utah, we went on a tour of the Encircle House. We had heard so much about it and uh, we loved it. And we told them, we want to help. What do you want us to do? So we went, we kept going a few times until we all figured out what felt best. And Rod and I are now the facilitators for the weekly parent meeting. And parents of kids who come there, parents of kids who don't come there, parents who think their kid might be gay and any number of people can come and we have it every Tuesday night and Rod, and I just kind of facilitate that. Um, and it has been a wonderful experience for us. And we hope we're helping people feel more comfortable in the new space they find themselves in. So it's, it's great. We can't say enough good about the Encircle House. Wow, that is just amazing. Utah has uh, gained two angel helpers, I would say. <laughs> parents and kids are absolutely lucky to be able to interact with you and just Thanks. talk to you and just feel that love just spreading out, which I think we've all felt tonight. So can wow. I can I say one thing? Yes. Um, I recorded that podcast with Sally yesterday, all about my faith transition. I think it's gonna come out tomorrow. So if you're interested in that, her podcast Remind is called what that's called so peace out peace out podcast and um on the front is a picture of sally and lena you'll see them on the the logo um and then she's she gets a lot of requests to with questions for me so she's talking about having me on once a month and calling it ask nan so um that may happen we don't know but just just uh, check out her podcast sometime. And then if you have more questions, you can ask them on one of those days when I'm on there. Oh, that needs to happen. I'm sorry. <laughs> that Thanks. absolutely needs to happen. And I already have another gig for you uh, with Stephen Pineker of Mormon Book Reviews. We'll have to talk later. He said, I've got to get her on my show. And he has okay. quite a wide audience. So I'm telling you, you are just launching. We're lucky that we got you right now. Uh. So. Thank you all to everyone who's there. Thank you so much. It's been amazing. Let's pull up our last slide real quick as we end here. Um, thank you again to Nan of Mormon No More. It was absolutely incredible. Um, if anybody wants more information just about the book club, um, you can email me at thegoodbookclub at mail.com, not gmail.com. You can look for us on Facebook. That's our logo. You can join our group. and um, We have a lot of fun together. You can also look at, for us on Instagram. And just a reminder, book club members that are here that our next book coming up in August is the very infamous Evidence of Early Mormon Counterfeiting, 1800 to 1847. Woo, it's going to be a spooky read. So, and, and this recording will be available on our book club site. If any of you that have attended here, I think most of us are connected by messenger. If you would like a copy or, or something, you can just message me and I can send it to you. So, because this was too good not to share. I'm sorry. It was just <laughs> too good so all right okay. everybody thank you again happy wednesday Thanks. night good night everybody thank, thank you, you.
so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am.